What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. We got Jays Jumpers, Jeremy Jackson Jr., John Morantz, Joe Johnson, Jaw Rafts, of course. We've got Jays. We've got him for days. Josh, how are you doing? Locked in. MLB playoffs. WNBA finals start this weekend. About to get MLS playoffs and WSL playoffs. It's such a great time of year. It is a great time. Of year. And not because of football. I, I will say that we're about two. We're, well, really, we're five weeks away from. From my favorite time of year. Actually, that's not true. My favorite time of year is probably the sports we get from January 1st to the first Sunday in February. Uh, because really not April. Uh, well, if we're going to include golf, I get like, yeah, like April's pretty, April's pretty spectacular too. But like, yeah, but like April's a whole is like fine. It's a, it's a, it's an excellent week. Now, if what happens in March happened in April, then fine. But like, it's really like a great seven days. It's like, it's Jim, it's Jim Nance week, right? That's, that's, that's what's great about (laughs) April, right? It's the final four on Saturday. It's the national championship game on Monday. It's round one of the masters Masters on Thursday. Yes. Yeah. Hello friends. Uh, But, but, but the first four and a half, five weeks of the year are, Right, the the last week or so of the NFL regular season, then you get the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Uh, playoffs. Um, you get the college football uh, semifinal. Well, not yep. the semifinals. You get the college football. I guess you get, you kind of get both, right? The semifinals are New yeah. Year's Six Bowls, basically. Yeah, yeah. You get um, all the important bowl games. Right. Uh, At and least you most get the of national them. championship, and then you also get like the the NBA season's kind of starting to gain mm-hmm. steam. Yep. And you have the beginning of. You have conference play college in play. college mm-hmm. basketball. Yeah. So from a there is something on every single night that I want to watch perspective. January is pretty is pretty good. Um, and see, but, I feel like I'm that that my time for that definitely agree with you. But even more so now that right. I'm having to choose between things because right. I get locked in now. Hockey starting. Not that I'm a huge hockey person, but I get locked. I get locked into the MLB playoffs. Just absolutely sure. love it. I, I I will say I'm I'm not super locked into the wild card. When we get to the divisional round, I'll Well, I'll, we're there I'll now. Or are we there? Is everyone is everything done? Uh, it was yeah. all sweeps. Nobody it even had sweeps. to play today. Yeah. That's actually crazy. MLB <laughs> is furious about the ticket sales. Um so I'll be locked in. I actually we went to Camden Yards last weekend, saw the Red Sox play the Orioles. Um Baseball games that actually have full stadiums, W. I just yes. never get to go to a baseball game that has a full stadium. It's just kind of like a walk in the park kind of feel and not like a sporting event. Anyways, um, so that's I, I, I'm looking forward to getting deeper into the baseball playoffs as well. Uh, this is a college basketball podcast. We're in the middle of our college basketball season preview, build up, run up, 12 podcasts, 12 plus podcasts. Um, if you've missed any of our individual just Josh and I previews of the power six conferences. Uh, all of those are on our YouTube channel. All of those on our podcast feed. We are now in the midst of our revisiting of each conference alongside a guest. And uh, I believe this is podcast number three of that, uh, of such podcasts. Is that correct? Four. 
four? Who's the no, I, we've, no, sorry, we've talked Connor to and Matt, Matt. Majinski. We've talked to Matt Majinski about Kentucky and SEC yep. basketball. We've talked to Connor Hope about the Pac 12, the last dance are, for the Pac 12. You are correct. And now it's three. Here we sorry. Are. We have arrived. He's getting ahead of himself. Yep. We have arrived at the ACC with our good friend of the pod and someone who the, the, the college basketball season cannot start until Brendan Marks from The Athletic comes on to the Jays for Days podcast. And that is what he has done on today's show. Brendan covers specifically the uh, Duke Blue Devils and North Carolina Tar Heels for the athletic, but he's also very well versed in the ACC as a whole and college basketball as a whole. It's always a blast to talk to Brendan, Josh, and uh, today is no different. Yeah, he's just absolutely fantastic. We know exactly what we're going to get. Always a great conversation and terrific insight from top to bottom in the conference and somebody who is just so plugged into both Duke and North Carolina that I just feel like it's it's expertise you can't get very many other places in terms of how well he knows those programs and what is going on inside them. It's it's always a treat. This is this really is one of the best podcasts of the year, every year, and um, and uh, we hope you enjoy. Without further ado, let's go talk to Brendan Marks about Duke, UNC, uh, and the rest of the ACC. Joining us now for what feels like a annual tradition at this point is Brendan Marks from the Athletic at Brendan R Marks on Twitter. Brendan, thanks so much for hopping on again. Welcome back. Yeah, of course. Thanks for uh, letting this be an annual tradition. Very glad to be here. You know, what What also seems to be an annual tradition at this point is, is this conference being dominated first, at least in the storylines, by the two teams that you are most closely paying attention to, and that's, and that's Duke and North Carolina. So we're going to start there because it feels right, and we'll start with the Duke Blue Devils uh, this time around. Um, this is the type of team that people gravitate towards, right? It's it's a team that has all conference, conference player of the year type returning talent. And you couple that, you know, guys like Jeremy Roach, like Kyle Filipowski, combined with high-level recruits, recruits that jump off the page. Um, where are you in terms of how much you're looking forward to seeing this team on the court, how excited you are for this particular Duke team, and kind of where this Duke team stacks up in terms of the teams that have a lot of hype, other Duke teams that have had a, a lot of hype coming into the season. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think this is probably the most complete Duke team that I will have covered at the athletic. Um, I think that top to bottom, you know, there are going to be guys in the ninth, 10th spots on this roster who would be starting for multiple other high majors in the country, multiple other teams in this conference. Um, and they're not going to even sniff the floor for Duke just because that's how much talent there is. You know, I, I think that obviously when you're able to bring back the caliber of guys that John Shire has, that's really rare at Duke. That has not traditionally happened, uh, especially over the last decade. And so, Shire has made it a clear point publicly to say, look, I, I want guys who are going to be around for multiple years. And the result is to have a team like this. So, um, you know, I think in the backcourt, you have two five-star recruits, you know, one of whom may start, neither of whom may start. The idea that two five-star backcourt recruits are coming to Duke and neither of them is going to start is, I mean, that's unheard of. Um, you know, and Kyle Filipowski, I think you have a guy who even 
considering the fact that he's coming back from an off-season injury, off-season procedure. I, I would be very surprised if he's not a preseason All-American. And then I think you've got a great mix of experience with guys like Jeremy Roach, guys like Ryan Young, guys who have been there and done that before. So, you know, there aren't a ton of weaknesses on this team, maybe rim protection a little bit, but I would be very surprised if this is not a top five, top 10 caliber team all year. And, and I think they have a really good chance to make it back to the second final four in three years. How different do you feel like this team is than last year's? You know, we talked to you last year about this idea that loaded recruiting class, those guys are going to be really important pieces. We saw that with Kyle Filipowski in particular this season, as you just said, it's not like the recruiting is lacking but it's a completely different role they're going to have because so many of these guys, whether it's the upperclassmen or some of those second year players who were part of that recruiting class last year, they're coming back. It feels like a much more veteran heavy team that isn't as reliant on those newcomers and specifically the freshmen. How, how different when talking to people around the program, do you feel like this team is from that regard? Substantially. I mean, I think a, a great sort of microcosm of a player that the situation we're talking about is Tyrese Proctor. So Tyrese Proctor last year reclassifies, comes in early after Trevor Keels decides he's going to stay in the draft. You know, he's going to play a lot. You know, he's going to play a lot early, tons of hype in the preseason. I mean, I voted him as ACC rookie of the year based on what I'd heard in the preseason. And he finally got to be that player in the middle of February, <laughs> you know, he, he didn't start out that way. You know, he couldn't really, I mean, I think he was shooting 9% from three after non-conference play. Now you're talking about a situation where guys like Jared McCain, Caleb Foster, they are capable of having a similar impact. I think as like a Tyrese did last year, but they're not going to have to do it on the floor. They're going to be able to work through some of that stuff behind the scenes. They're going to be able to work through that stuff in more limited minutes. There's much less pressure on them to immediately be able to contribute because you do have this this core you know in theory duke can start all four starters from last year ryan young who was a part-time starter like that is a viable starting lineup and all of these five-star freshmen you got four of them not a single one of them needs to start that that is a legitimate option that john shire has so um i, I think that in talking to people around the program the expectations are a lot higher intensity has been a lot higher and I think another thing that we're probably not getting enough credit to, and maybe we'll get into this more, is that, you know, this is not a guy who's a first year head coach anymore. He knows what it takes to get guys to that level. So I think top to bottom, roster coaching, everything, um, there is a lot more sense of establishment than there was when you had a first year coach with 11 new guys. Let's just, let's get into that, into, into that part of this, that this is year two. Do you think, do you think we'll notice do you think we'll notice different things about the way that John Shire approaches this season? Um, if so, where do you think those, those aspects will be specifically? But I mean, it was, it was a pretty good start last year and maybe just the thing that we'll notice is that he, like you said, that there's, we're slowly turning it into John Shire's Duke program, not really a, a coach K Duke program that is still kind of coming out of that era. Yeah, I you know, I think that one thing we'll learn relatively early on, and I think that I, I think this is already the case, but I think it will probably be publicly confirmed in the first couple of the weeks of the season, is I think John is really malleable. I think that he does a really good job of fitting what he wants to do around his pieces. So, you know, uh, you know, like for example, historically the knock on Roy Williams was he needed to have 
the exact right pieces. He needed to have his rim running big. He needed to have his trailer. He needed to have floor spacers in the corners and he needed to have a lightning quick point guard. And when he had all that, it was beautiful music. And when he didn't have that, you saw some of the cracks. I think that towards the end of his tenure, I don't think it's unfair to say that Coach Gay maybe got to be a little bit more like that. Wasn't necessarily as creative to fit his parts. And I think that John, you know, just in what his roster looked like last year, like what you do defensively with Derek Lively is going to be a lot different than what you do if you've got Kyle Filipowski or Ryan Young as your starting center. So I think that he has shown already the ability to be more flexible. I think we'll continue to see that. The other thing that I think we'll see is I think that he will be – with that establishment, less timid. Not that he ever was, but like I'm expecting him to get a tech this year. (laughs) Um, You know, he got close a couple of times last year and there were a couple of times where it was like, come on, John. Like, and I I think that now he's more established. He knows how to operate a sideline. He knows how to work officials. He knows when to go in, when not to, he knows what to say. Um, So I do think that we'll notice some of those changes. I think some of them will be subtle, but I do think that, you know, exactly what you're saying. I a hundred percent agree. It does not feel like a stewardship anymore to me, at least it feels like this is pretty firmly his program and there are clear differences. And those differences, at least in year one resulted in an ACC championship and a 10 game winning streak. You saw, we all saw a lot of growth as the season went along, probably part because it was such a young team. And then obviously a big part of that also, because it's a first time head coach. What do you feel like Shire learned through the process of last season and just navigating a college basketball season that coming into year two, either he's going to try and do some things differently. You mentioned maybe being a little bit less timid, even from just a preparation for the NCAA tournament standpoint, are there things you feel like he's going to do differently now that he's been through this before? I do. I, it's a good question. I think, you know, for him last year, things went, pretty poorly at the start. You had injuries to two of your top three recruits. You had guys in and out of the lineup. You had injuries. You had inconsistency. You had some really tough losses. I mean, that Purdue loss was like, you know, a butt kicking out in Portland. Um, And to see what he was able to do by the end of the year, you know, to get to a situation where, you know, Derek Whitehead, I think the way he handled that was really informative. Like you've got a top five guy who's clearly a first round NBA talent okay, you try and work him back in. Maybe it's a little bit too much. Then he gets hurt again. Okay, now the rest of my team is clicking. How do I reinsert this talent but not upset the balance? And I think that, you know, his decision at the end of the year to say, Derek, hey, sorry, like you're coming off the bench. Like, I I think that takes some cojones um, to do that. Like, I think a lot of coaches, if they've got a five-star, you know, all-world wing there, even one with the injury history Derek had by that point, like you're starting that guy and you're figuring it out. Um, So I think that, you know, I will be interested to see if John continues to have the creativity that he did at the end of last year. You know, he moved, he was willing to move in January, February, he switched the roles for Tyrese and Jeremy, moved Jeremy into much more of an off ball role. Proctor was much more on ball, creating, initiating. And that was incredibly successful. Like those were, those were not conventional ideas at the time that he's making them. And so I wonder if he doesn't have those same hurdles, will he still be as, Will he have that same ingenuity? I think he will. Um, But I do think that he sort of had to learn a lot through trial by fire last year, which probably was not super fun in the moment. But I do think that it was really informative for him in like structuring like, okay, just because something is working doesn't mean that I shouldn't keep tinkering to make us even 1% better. I I think we see that a little bit 
actually in the in the construction of this roster as well because I think in the in the way that college basketball works at this point it's it's hard to get guys like Kayla Foster and Jared McCain and TJ Power to come to your program when in the same sentence you have to say Jeremy Roach is a senior Jeremy Roach has done this before Tyrese Proctor was you last year and now I know I can count on Tyrese Proctor and the same with Mark Mitchell and, and Kyle Filipowski to, so to you know some of that you know but as you said cojones to tell your Derek Whitehead that listen this is where like right this season didn't go the way that I or you thought that this was going to go but here we are and the way for you to help our team the most is to come off the bench and there's a i mean maybe we get to february and it's Jeremy Roach and Kyle Filipowski and three new freshmen in the starting lineup like maybe that happens and i i would bet that Shire is is willing to do that if if that's what if that's what it demands but you could also be coming off the bench all year and to say that to a freshman and and maybe he's worried about it maybe he's not that that freshman is like you know what i'm gonna go somewhere else where i know i'm gonna get the ball um that um that being able to do that will ultimately like you said put his program into a place where they have sophomores and juniors and seniors um speaking all that to say we've got a lot of really fun freshmen here and some that, while they might not be the foundation of the team right here on August, October 5th, when we're recording this, they could be in a couple months from now. So when it comes to these freshmen, which ones are, which one are you most excited about? And then the second part, and maybe it's the same guy, maybe it's not, which guy has the most to do with Duke's success this season in terms of how important it is that he's good this year? Yeah, well, I, I think the one that I'm most excited to see is Jared McCain. Um, you know, he has garnered a lot of praise this offseason um, at the various camps that he's been to away from the program. He's garnered praise from inside the program. He's garnered praise from NBA scouts and, and onlookers who have been through practices thus far. Um, and just in having met the kid one time at Media Day, his personality is incredible. Um, you know, he he's a true California guy very chill. Um, but it's, it's clear that as soon as he steps inside those lines, it's like a different dude. Um, and guys who I think have the ability to turn it on and off like that. Um, I think they tend to do well, but yeah, in terms of skill set, like Jared McCain could easily be the best shooter on this team as a true freshman. That would not surprise me whatsoever. If he is that person, Duke's going to need him to be. Um, you know, I, I think that he most likely is going to be a starter. If I was, predicting the starting lineup right now, given everything I've heard, he would be the fifth starter. Um, and, you know, if he ends up being the second best guard on the team by the end of the year, I wouldn't be surprised either. So I have very high hopes for him. And I know there's a lot of hype around him already. The other guy who I'm really interested in is TJ power. Um, we saw him at a, a brief portion of practice over the summer and the dude did not miss. And he looked much more physically imposing than I expected. Um, I think he's cooled off a little bit from that hot start based on what I've heard. But I think that he's a guy who gives Duke a lot of size that it doesn't necessarily have on the wing there. And I think he's another guy who can really shoot it. So I think McCain is the one who uh, is the most guaranteed to me. You know, I, I find it hard to believe he's not going to be a productive contributor this year in some capacity, but I think that power 
if he plays up to his potential, can really be a swing guy, even if it's not as a starter, um, just because of the size he provides, the passing, and obviously um, this was not a great Duke shooting team last year. So having another shooter, especially one who who you know can truly be on the wing, not you know a third guard, I think that would be a huge asset as well. Let's switch gears and go to North Carolina. First thing, we haven't actually talked to you since last season and everything that happened. In your mind, what went wrong? And do you feel like we are on the path to having those issues addressed heading into the season with some of the roster changes and just a clean slate to start with? Yeah, as far as what went wrong, like... I mean, how long do you guys do these podcasts for? <laughs> like, uh, I mean, we, we could talk about that. Uh, you know, I think it was kind of a perfect storm of everything going wrong. I think it was, uh, I think you had a lot of guys who, for lack of a better term, got caught on their own, you know, high on their own supply. You know, they heard how good they were. And for a lot of those guys, they hadn't previously heard that in their college careers. And it was like, hey, you know, we are pretty good. Look what we just did. And very much rested on their laurels. You know, I don't know that, all of the guys were in town practicing. I, you know, I think they all had various engagements and were definitely doing stuff on their own, but that sense of team was, was lacking. Um, I think you also had a lot of guys who were kind of entrenched in what they were, and there was only so much room for growth. I think that chemistry-wise, clearly you had some issues. Um, but I would say I, I think I am probably more cautiously optimistic about North Carolina than the average college basketball like reporter would be, I would say. I think that this can be a really good team this year. I think that they lost a lot of talent, obviously. I also think that they brought in a lot of talent. And I think that, you know, that we got to talk about Caleb Love. Like, I think that's addition by subtraction just in terms of fit. Caleb's a great player. He's probably got one of the most complicated North Carolina legacies of anyone I can think of. Um, the shot he hit is a top two, top three shot in program history. And I think you could probably make the argument that he, in terms of on-court play, he was the biggest individual driver for, for their faults last season. Um, so, yeah, I'm really I'm, I'm optimistic about North Carolina. I think they're going to have a much better year. I think that they can be a top 10, top 15 kind of team. I mean, I know that's lofty, but, like, I think this offense has a lot of really good pieces. You know, I think there's probably going to be more – 90 to 80 games than 60 to 50 games. I think that they are going to score a lot and get scored on a lot. But I do think that overall, the talent is in a, a good place. The roster cohesion is in a much better place. And I think in terms of, you know, that idea of a blank slate that you mentioned, Josh, like, I think that's so important. I think these are a lot of guys who either came from programs where they did not have success or they were on this team last year and had to deal with the stink of the embarrassment that last season was. And I think a lot of them are, are really motivated now to be successful this year. So I, I'm, I'm high on North Carolina. I think that they could be a very surprising team in the ACC. What do you think was the most, and maybe it's Caleb Love and I, every chance I get, I will talk about how I'm not a huge fan of Caleb Love's as a basketball player. I'm sure Caleb Love, the person is, I don't know anything about Caleb Love, the person, but generally speaking, I'm not a fan of the, the, the archetype of Caleb Love, the basketball player. Um, so maybe that's the, that would be that where I would go first in terms of the most important or impactful thing that happened this offseason. Um, would you go to the same place or would you kind of point into a different direction? You know, I, I think in terms of subtractions, I think he's he's certainly up there. Um, you know, like at the end of the day, I agree with you. 
you know, I think Caleb in terms of the NBA eyes an undersized two guard. Um, and I think the thing that he never capitalized on at North Carolina, and I'm interested to see if he does at Arizona is I think Caleb's a really good passer. And I don't think that he ever leaned into that. And I think that that was a big reason why North Carolina's ball movement struggled so much last year. They posted the fewest assists in program history last year. So, I mean, that's, you had the second worst three point percentage and you had the fewest assists. <laughs> and a lot of that is coming from the same dude, uh, which is not great. So I, I think obviously that, that that is a huge thing. And I think that those are the two areas that Hubert Davis identified and said, look, we, we were bad here. We have to be better. And the, the portal additions that they brought in were very targeted towards improving specifically those two areas. I think obviously Cormac Ryan, is he's he might be the guy who I think makes this all work the most. Like I, I think Cormac Ryan is hugely important to North Carolina's success this year. He's going to have to be a floor spacer. He's going to have to defend wings. He's going to have to be, you know, a, a critical piece for this team. And I think that he's shown that he can contribute to winning. The fact that he can move the ball and make plays without needing it in his hand constantly, especially when you have two ball dominant guards and RJ Davis and Elliot Cadeau, like that's huge. Um, I, I think that it's really important that North Carolina did bring in Cadeau. You know, I think it's a gamble having a freshman guard. We, we know historically freshman point guards have struggled to adjust. I think that the hype for Elliot right now is probably a little outlandish. You know, I've heard some people saying like, oh, he's going to average eight and a half assists a game this year. Like three players in all of Division One basketball did that last year. <laughs> I don't I don't know that he's going to quite get to that mark, guys, um, which is not to say that he's not going to be a good player, or be a one and done or be impactful. I just think that like maybe we just let him sort of be what he is, you know, which is a really, really good passer and somebody who's going to fix a lot of those ball movement issues. Um, I think he's going to get open shots for guys. And then lastly, I think they bring in some other intriguing pieces. Harrison Ingram is obviously a huge name. McDonald's all American. They're going to use him as like a point forward three, four Paxson Wozczyk. If, if he can shoot it against ACC caliber athletes, he will be an asset. And I've heard really good things about Jalen Withers too, in terms of his athleticism. I don't know that the three point production is going to carry over, but you know, another body at the four, North Carolina needed that last year. So I think the, the biggest thing is, you know, you don't have a guy anymore who was at some points tanking your offense and you've instead replaced him with, I think, guys who singularly don't have the ability to do that and therefore play more cohesively. And I think that's going to be a real benefit for this team in terms of the two things it was worse at last year. I want to talk about Cadeau and build off of what you said, because that was one of the things we discussed on our ACC preview is this idea that he's going to move the ball. He is very different than Caleb Love. And like you also mentioned, that's a lot of pressure to have on somebody who's never played college basketball before, never seen ACC opposition. And I just am super excited about him because I love his game and I know he's getting all of the hype. How how important do you think he ends up being for this team and specifically in the sense of unlocking all of the three-point shooters that got brought in, helping make sure Armando Baycott is effective as possible because if he doesn't have the ball, there's only so much he can do. Just this idea that you're asking him to very much be a floor general and a decision maker and right try and you know not repeat the assist issues of last season. Is he built to do this and are we going to look at and say he's the thing that makes this all work or do you think that's putting too much pressure on him i think that's too much i don't think he's going to be that guy i don't think he needs to be that guy rj davis can be an all-american this year rj davis during the ncaa tournament two years ago 
when North Carolina fully leaned into the RJ Davis point guard experiment and they said, Caleb, focus on scoring. RJ, we want the ball in your hands. We want you bringing it up, everything. RJ Davis's assist numbers went to, I, I don't have the numbers in front of me. I think he went to six assists a game on average during the tournament. He had that one 10 assist game, I believe, um, was very much in control of the offense. You go and you look at the three point shooting, you go and look at the ball movement from those games. Like RJ Davis can be that guy and he's never had the opportunity singularly to be that guy because he came in in the same class as Caleb Love and they've been splitting the backcourt since they both came to Carolina. So I think that RJ Davis is in for a much bigger role. Um, of course, Cadeau is going to help. Whether that's starting alongside RJ or, you know, coming in as the second point guard, like the idea last year was that if you took the starters off the floor, which Hubert Davis didn't do very often, uh, then things were going to fall apart. And this year, the idea that you can go and be like, hey, All-American point guard, take a 10-minute breather, five-star point guard, here you go, um, best passer since Kendall Marshall, come on in, we would love for you to play. Um, you know, I've, I, Elliot is already making life easier for people based on what I've heard. Um, he is getting those shooters open shots, which was not necessarily the case last year. So I think that is, is huge. But we got to understand that, like, R.J. Davis is going to be the engine of this offense. Armando Baycott is going to be the engine of this offense. And if you think that, you know, a reclassifying freshman point guard is going to come in and suddenly vault to the top of the totem pole, I, I think that that is definitely expecting too much for him. Not that Cadeau's not a good player. I love his game. I just camped out at EYBL games and would be watching his passing. It was ludicrous. Um, I love that he loves scoop alley-oops, and I hope that he gets a couple of those this year to Jalen Withers because that feels like great poster opportunities. Um, but I don't think that he necessarily has to be the guy, the singular engine for this offense from day one. I think that that's asking too much of him. I think it's asking too little of R.J. Davis. Um, and finding that balance over the course of the year, that's that's Hubert Davis's job, and I think that he will. But it wouldn't be a surprise to me for Cadeau to start. It wouldn't be a surprise for me if he does end up coming off the bench to start the year. Um, but he's going to be heavily involved. I mean, he's one of the top seven players on this team. He is going to be in the rotation heavily all year long. Those, those things never go well either. I mean, in, in North Carolina's own program, I mean, Cole Anthony was really ex spectacular at the beginning of that season, but I don't think anybody would tell you they are going to remember that team fondly for forever. And even like the best freshman guard to ever like come in and completely dominate everything in the last 10 years or so was Trey young. And that team ended like really like, the, like nothing special about how that Oklahoma season ended. It was just really awesome for like a month and a half. And then it was like, wait, this doesn't work against big 12 opponents. And you'll, you're shocked to see that, that it didn't go super well. Um, I, are you concerned at all about, you mentioned Jalen Withers a little bit, of course, of course, Wojcik comes in from a, a mid-major team. Do you think there's any way in which the, the, the three-point shooting isn't there in the way that we're expecting it to be based on when you look at the stats from last year that it's, oh my gosh, it's Jalen Withers. He shot 41% from the three-point line last year. It's Wojcik. He shot, you know, 38% and Cormac Ryan's better than 34.4%. Um, are you worried about it translating at all? Uh, with, with the only guy that I'm really worried about it translating with is Paxton, just because of the level of play from the Ivy league up. And if you look sure. at his splits against high major teams, he was shocking, less efficient. Like, of course he was, he's Stuff. playing against better teams. Uh, so I'm interested to see how much that carries over, but I, I will say this. 
RJ Davis shot like 36 ish percent last year, I believe um, 36 and change maybe. And he did that with a broken. There you go. And he did that with a broken finger for half the year. Um, so I think RJ Davis, you know, I'm, as you can see, I am on the RJ Davis train, um, as, <laughs> as I'm very subtly alluding to, but I think, I think RJ can be, I, I think he's going to be one of the guys. I think Cormac, like you said, I think he's better than 34%, especially when he's got a guy like Armando Baycott down low. He never had that in Notre Dame. Um, you know, I don't know that Jalen Withers is going to replicate the percentage or the number of successful threes that he made last year. Um, Wojcik to me is, is really kind of the swing guy. Like if, if he can, if he can translate, like the staff has been very encouraged by him in what he's done, you know, in their workouts thus far. But again, that's shooting drills. That's not against ACC competition. So, um, you know, I, I think Cadeau is going to make a difference there. You know, I think that he has worked a lot on his shot recently and has improved in that regard. He did over EYBL too. So there are options here. You know, I think there are, I don't, I don't think that this is going to be a top 10 three point shooting team in the country. You know, I don't think there's a Brady manic on this team. Um, but I do think that by and large, like this is a team that has enough that if, if you're shooting 35% from three as a team, that's more than enough. You know, you can't be down in the 30, 31, the garbage range again, you, you have to be better than that. And I think they will be, um, you know, if they're above 35%, I think that'd be great. But I mean, if you hit 35 to me, like you're, you're probably in a pretty good place overall with this offense. I, I want to run something by you that I ran by Josh in our, in our preview. And I think is, is interesting. And I, I preface the following by saying that I'm, I'm not actually curious about Hubert Davis's job security. I don't think that's actually a thing. Um, they could lose all of their games this year. And I think Hubert Davis would be the coach of UNC's next year. I mean, maybe that's a little extreme. That would be impressive, but you get my point. Um, is is this a weirdly important year for Hubert Davis? And, and what I mean by that is on, on this, you know, on the ground level, Hubert Davis had a disappointing year and a year he went to the final four. On the surface, that's one good year and one bad year. But if you break it into three into four halves, he has three pretty underwhelming halves and one where his backcourt caught fire. They figured it out for two and a half for like two months. And what they did was spectacular. Is this like I, I think this is a important year for the psyche of North Carolina basketball under Hubert Davis. And not in a, is he a good basketball coach at all way, but just in a, it's, it's, it's easy to forget how this is actually gone when you went to a final four. And I'm curious if you think that's, there's any merit to that and, and kind of how you're feeling about Herbert Davis going into this season. Yeah. He, I, I, you know, when North Carolina hired him, Never did I think Hubert Davis would be this polarizing. Right. Um, like n- never in my wildest dreams. I I actually had this exact argument with a colleague last night, and he said that he didn't think Hubert was a very good basketball coach. And I, I said, I disagree. I think that Hubert is. I think that Hubert got dealt a hard situation. Like, let's not pretend that Hubert inherited a team that was like running people out of the gym. Yep. Like Hubert inherited a team that lost in the first round of the tournament for the first time in Roy Williams's career. And the year before that was the worst season in the history of the modern era, you know, other than 
you know, 2003, which we don't need to talk about. Um, <laughs> so he didn't exactly walk into a great situation. He also walked into a situation where he had very little roster construction power. He had so many guys already committed. And I think, you know, the ability to go out and even though he didn't necessarily go, you know, three for three in the portal that first year to get Brady Manic and to get what he got out of Brady Manic, you have to give him credit. You have to give him credit. I think he's really creative offensively. Um, I think that he can do things offensively. I think that he, I, I agree with you. This is a big year for him though, because now it is a lot more of his team. It's a lot more of guys that he brought in and he's bringing them in clearly to, to play a certain style. You know, he mm-hmm. wants to space the floor. He wants to have better three-point shooting. Um, I think that North Carolina could bring back some secondary break stuff, which they abandoned that first year, which helped them get to the final four. So like his willingness, we talked about malleability with, with Shire. Hubert's ability to go away from the Carolina style of basketball is what helped North Carolina get to the final four. Like give the dude mm-hmm. some credit for that. Um, but of course there's a but. If they underperform this year, if they have chemistry issues this year, if they don't make the tournament this year, I think suddenly that seat gets really hot, really, really, really hot. And Hubert's a really nice man. And I, like I just said, I think he's a good offensive coach defensively. I think the jury's probably still out. Um, but I think that this year, you know, I, I remember talking to administrators last February, March, you know, before the season was officially over and several of them saying like, he needs his own guys. He's got him now. What does he do with them? Um, and I think that this is, you know, I, I'm not, I don't think that it would take a lot for him to lose his job after this year. I don't think that that's the situation is going to play out. Like I just said, I, I think North Carolina is a top 15 team. Um, but certainly this is a prove it year for him in terms of, you know, I, I, I think that comparatively, I think that John Shire has a lot more, like it feels more like a John Shire program at Duke mm-hmm. than it feels like a Hubert Davis program at North Carolina yet. And I think this is the year that could change. And if it does, I think that would be hugely beneficial for him. I think that that sort of lays more of a groundwork. You've got good recruits coming in next year. If it doesn't happen, things suddenly look a lot more perilous. So let's put these two teams in conversation real quick before we touch on some of the other teams in the ACC. Do you have them? You said you think North Carolina's got the potential to be top 10, top 15. Do you have them kind of in the same category? Do you feel like their ceilings are similar? Or do you feel like Duke is a class above and North Carolina would have to have a phenomenal season to keep pace? Yeah, I think Duke is in a class of its own. Um, just in terms of what they return, they have continuity. And like the only real question that I have about Duke this year is their their defensive rim protection, especially. Like, I think that they have enough bodies that they'll be able to switch and be more uh, aggressive defensively. Um, I don't think they'll sit back as much as they do. I think they'll be more likely to turn teams over. But they don't have that rim protector. I mean, losing Derek Lively, like, there's no way you can look at that as anything but a gigantic loss. Um, You know, he was – I would argue he was the best defensive player in the country by the end of last season. So, I think Duke is in a – you know, Duke is number one to me, I think, pretty clearly. But I think North Carolina is pretty clearly, too. And then after that, I think, is where the rest of the hierarchy comes in. I don't think it's a tremendous gap, but I do think there's a gap between those two. But I also think there's a gap after them. Um, so I know we're going to talk about some of those teams. But, yeah, I see it. I don't see it as like a 1A, 1B thing. I see it pretty clearly as 1 and 2. Um, but I also see 1 and 2 as being pretty established as well. So let's hop into 
the rest of the conference kind of touch on some of these other teams. You mentioned, right, Duke and UNC kind of in tier one, tier two, and then maybe there's there's a next team there. It looks like that maybe the two teams that are poised for those types of challenges perhaps could be teams like Miami, teams like Virginia. So let's start, let's just kind of start in the broadly, if there is a team that's going to force Duke to, you know, win 16 games to win this conference, you know, not get away with losing that random Tuesday night game against a bad Boston college team that they always seem to lose. Um, where are those teams that you're looking at to kind of be that, Hey, we're here. We can go 14 and six. We could, we could give you some pressure. Um, where are you looking first in the ACC this year? The next two teams to me are Miami and Clemson. Um, Miami, you know, loses a lot from last year. Like losing Jordan Miller is tough. Losing Isaiah Wong, you're losing the AC player of the year. That's tough. Like there's no other way around that. Um, but you bring back really good guys too. You bring back pack, you bring back uh, Norchad. I think Wuga Poplar is in store for a step up. Fascinated to see what Matthew Cleveland looks like there. I think there's a lot of good pieces there. I think Jordan Miller is better than Matthew Cleveland, but I think that Cleveland can fill something of a similar role. Um, and, and I think, quite frankly, if you look the past couple of years, Miami is one of the teams that's had Duke's number. They've turned Duke over. They've made the clutch shots that they've needed to make. Um, you know, and I think that, that that same formula can work again. Like they have a ton of experience. They have so much experience. So, you know, Miami a lot, um, definitely they're up there for me. And I, I think Clemson is probably the team that I'm, you know, really hitching my wagon to as far as like personal embarrassment and all of my ACC predictions. Um, you know, like I think Clemson can be good. And like, anytime anyone has said that it's like, womp, womp. Um, <laughs> Clemson has good players. I think Brad Brownell is a really good coach. I mean, you bring back PJ Hall, who I think is probably one of the five or three most underrated players in the league. You you had Joe Girard come in, who again, you know, what does he look like in a defensive system that's not zone? We'll see. Um, <laughs> we'll we'll see. At least he's still uh, wearing orange. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, you don't have to do. You don't have to get crazy with the photoshops, right? <laughs> um, so, you know, and, and then I think Chase Hunter is really underrated. You know, I think that Chase Hunter is a good player. I think Jack Clark, you get him from NC State. He's got league experience. Like, I like those pieces a lot. So I think that Clemson can finish as a top four team in this league. And um, notably, I am not including Virginia in that mix. Um, but I, I think that, you know, after pretty clearly established Duke and North Carolina, Miami is a team that I think is going to cause problems for everybody. Um, and I, and, and, I believe that Duke has to go to Miami this year. Um, I might have that wrong, but I believe they do. I think in like the middle of February, late February, I think that's a game that I'm looking at is like, that could be one that kind of has a, a really big factor in the regular conference standing. So those are my next two. Um, but I do think that top to bottom, the league is going to be a lot better this year. Like I think Virginia will be interesting. Um, NC state will be interesting. Florida State, I don't really know what to expect. Um, I think Georgia Tech will be better. You know, I think that I think that there's there's hope for the ACC yet. Let's not bury it just yet. I said the same thing when we were doing ACC pre preview about PJ Hall. As long as he's on their team, they got a shot. People just don't give him the love he deserves. I'm with you. Is there? You mentioned Clemson as one of these teams. You know, last season there was this whole group of teams that kind of came out of nowhere and had, at least for a while, really good seasons. Some of them tailed off at the end. Are you expecting, for example, a pit 
and those kind of teams to be able to follow it up? Or do you think we're going to get a very different ACC standings that maybe Clemson is kind of the only one that's able to replicate that? I, I, I think that Pitt is going to be different. They lost a lot. Um, different different talent this year. Um, so I'd be surprised if Pitt was as good as they were last year. I mean, Capel did a hell of a job with them last year. Um, not that they can't be good. I just think that last year they were like a really tough physical team. I mean, they forced Duke to, to really lean into switching with Lively at the five because of their personnel. And I think that unlocked some stuff for Duke down the road. Um, but I, I think there's some teams that could sneak up on people. I think Florida State could sneak up on people. I think their talent is interesting. I think, you know, uh, Leonard Hamilton was establishing Florida State as this power. And then the pandemic hit and it felt like, you know, all of the fairy dust disappeared. You go and you look at it, it's their defense that was making them in that caliber. They were never an offensive juggernaut, and the defensive efficiency has slipped year over year over year, and last year was the worst year yet. They also had some brutal injury luck last year, too. Bob Miller was suspended last year. So I think Florida State could surprise people. Um, I'm never going to bet against Steve Forbes making an all-ACC point guard out of a transfer portal find. Yep. You know, he's done, he's, you know I, can he go three for three? Sure thing. You know, Hunter Salas, I think, could do that. Um, the difference is like, what, what do they have in Efton Reed? Is Efton Reed able to play? Like the two-time waiver thing is still kind of murky, um, but they haven't had a big that's that dominant since Steve Forbes has been there. You know, is Damari Monsanto healthy? At what point is he able to be a full go? I think Wake Forest could be a team that this might be the year they get over the hump. Um, but obviously Steve Forbes also has some personal stuff going on. So with, with his wife, unfortunately, and I'm glad to hear she's making a recovery. So I think those are teams that could sneak up on people a little bit. Um, you know, and I would like to believe that, you know, the teams that were at the bottom of the standings last year cannot be as historically inept as they were last season when we were wondering, like, is Louisville going to win a game? I, I don't think that Louisville is that bad this year. <laughs> I hope. Uh, on paper, right? On pa- I mean, there's there's talent. There's talent on that basketball team. Um, we're... What do you think ACC's, like, spot in the college basketball world is right now? I, I, I think this is super interesting because i mean for a long time i mean you look back it's been like 15 years since they were the kempom kempom's best conference which i know is like it's one metric but it's also one that we all pretty much universally respect and you have to go back to 2019 20 the last time they were inside the top five at kempom last year they were seventh the mountain west was at kempom a better conference than the acc last year Although, how'd that look in the tournament? <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I I just think, I think because for a long time, right, it was, you know, the Big East, it was the ACC, it was this kind of East Coast basketball, you know, cathedral of these two conferences. And it's just, I, I'm, I'm curious, I like to ask people that, that cover this conference really closely because it just isn't, it isn't really that anymore. It's behind the Big Ten. It's behind the Big Twelve. There are years that the Big East is, you know, much better than this conference. I'm just curious what you think about that. Yeah, I mean, it's almost like losing four Hall of Fame coaches was tough. Almost, <laughs> almost, almost like replacing, <laughs> almost like replacing Roy Williams, Coach K, Jim Beheim, and Rick Pitino is hard. <laughs> yeah, um, imagine that. Yeah, so I, I mean, yeah, like, listen, I think. I don't think I'm breaking news here when I say that I think the ACC's days of being the premier basketball conference as we knew it in like the, the late eighties, the nineties, like I think those days are probably done. Um, this is a league that was built on basketball 
and then tried pivoting to football and is still trying to pivot to football because football is the thing that makes all the dollars move right now. And in the process, I think there definitely was something of a loss of identity. You know, I used to cover my first job out of school. I was covering NASCAR. And one of the big things that I learned in covering NASCAR and why NASCAR went from, you know, so incredibly popular in the early 2000s to the place that it's in today is NASCAR tried to go national. NASCAR left behind its regional roots and tried to expand and tried to be big and tried going to newer tracks. And sometimes know your, know your role, stay in your lane. And I, I don't think the ACC necessarily did a great job of that historically. And now you are where you are. I will say this. I think that the ACC has an opportunity to, it has as good an opportunity to sort of microwave itself in terms of vaulting back up those standings because of the portal because we do still have another two years of this COVID year, you know, that hasn't cycled out yet. And so I do think it's easier to get better more quickly than it was in the old days. It's not like, you know, you have to bring in five classes before you're starting to see progress. You know, if you are bringing in five classes and haven't seen any progress, you're not bringing in that fifth class. Um, you're not getting that opportunity. So I think that the league is obviously changing in terms of the guys who are in charge of the programs. I think that, the ACC lost its way a little bit in terms of recognizing what was most important. But I think that you are starting to see some of these, like if John, Sh I'm, I'm not saying John Shire is going to be coach K. I think that's ridiculous. But like, if you have John Shire here in five years or in 10 years, like, okay, now you've got some longevity built up. If Hubert Davis is still here in five years, seven years, you've got some longevity built up. Um, you know, I think you look around, like I think Mike Young, he's, he's on the older side too. He's not old, but like, you have him at Virginia Tech establishing some consistency. Tony Bennett is still there. Like, it's not like the league is void of those guys. Um, but certainly it's in a different place than it was. I don't know that it's ever going to get back to being that way. But there's no reason why the ACC should ever, ever be the seventh best conference, especially in the era of roster overhaul that we're in now. You know, it's not like these schools don't have NIL money. There's no reason the ACC should ever be as bad as it was. And so I think some of that is poor hires. I think some of it is poor recruiting, you know, but I do think that, you know, the ACC has an opportunity this year to, to start rebuilding its image a little bit. Um, I still think that the big 12 is the best conference in America. Um, I think the big East is up there as well, but like the ACC should be in that conversation at least. And I think that, it probably won't be this year, but I think it'll rise back up the standings to, you know, if it has a top five finish this year, I wouldn't be surprised. Like, I think that that's within reasonable expectations. And if you're the ACC and you're the third best power conference in terms of football and you're outside of the top five in basketball, honey, we got problems. <laughs> we got problems. I mean, like, I don't want to say this flippantly, but like the ACC is at a pretty critical juncture right now. You got maybe seven years most to be solvent in the iteration of like status that you're in now. Like there are going to be teams that leave the ACC. That's happening. Like it's going to happen. Yeah. Not now, but it will happen. Like this is your opportunity to try to establish yourself as a staying power. You got seven years, clock's ticking. Um, yeah. Because after this current grant of rights deal expires and if teams start leaving in 2030 or so, you know, are you looking at a league where it's like, Boston College, Georgia Tech, Cal, Stanford, SMU. Like, I, I want to gag thinking about that.
Um, thinking VCU. <laughs> like it's yucky. It's yucky. So um, no disrespect to those programs, but like, sure. you know, you, you, this is the critical time. And uh, this year you've got to start reversing that narrative or it's just going to get harder and harder. Two programs that can kind of help do that, that we've touched on briefly that I want to dive into real quick before we let you go. Louisville, is there any hope? I look at this roster, you got two excellent transfers coming in. It's not like the talent is non-existent. There are players there that theoretically this should be a team that can, you know, win some basketball games. Do you feel like there is some reason for optimism that it's not going to be a total train wreck again? And then also Syracuse, obviously beginning of a new era. Another team that you look at on paper, I mean, J.J. Starlight, Judah Mintz, Benny Williams, Naheem McLeod is not a bad place to start. Are you, I am really big on the Syracuse team. I think they could surprise some people. Are you on board with what this is potentially going to be? Or do you think it's going to take some time to kind of another program that, right, has a staple and and now is going to have to reform an identity outside of Jim Beheim's 2-3 zone? I, I, I am on board with Cuse being decent this year. I don't know that they're a tournament team. I think they could be. Um because I think there are going to be some growing pains anytime you're going, you know, away from a guy like Beheim, like someone who's been that established. I mean, he's the most established of the established. Yeah. Um, so I, I think there are going to be some growing pains there. But I think that, A, I think Red Autry has like the right mindset going into it just from having spent some time with him on the EYBL circuit this summer. I think he's in a good headspace of like what he wants to do. And yeah, I think like that backcourt on paper sounds pretty good to me. I think Benny Williams can be good. Yep. I think you finally have some big bodies. Um, so I, you know, I, I think Syracuse can be interesting this year. Um, I really do. As for Louisville, I felt better when they had Trenton flowers, um, before he decided he wanted to try and be a point guard that doesn't seem to be going too well. Um, but I, I think they, it's hard to be worse than they were last year. <laughs> I think that sky Clark is, you know, they need sky Clark to not have to be Ellis. Because if Sky Clark has to play that game, then we're, we're right back where we were last year. But I do think that the roster is better. Um, I think that Kenny Payne hopefully learned from some of his mistakes. I still don't know that they have great depth, especially in the backcourt. That's concerning. Um, but can they be more competitive? I would hope so. Um, you know, I think he's probably got the hottest seat in the league right now. I really do. Like, if they're not markedly better, I think, you know, this could be a two-year experiment. Um, so... A lot of pressure on those guys, um, a lot of pressure on that staff. You know, like I, you know, I got a good friend on that staff, Nolan Smith. Um, I'm hoping that they do well. But certainly, um, you know, I'm not, I, I think in my – I had to do a mailbag question where somebody asked me, you know, where did I have Louisville in the preseason in terms of rankings? I had them 13th, not last. I think they're going to be better than Notre Dame. I think Notre Dame is going to be tough to watch this year um, mm. while they're building. But if they're not much better than – we're going to have a lot to talk about about Louisville next off season, including probably a coaching search. It just doesn't. It, it's unfathomable that that program is bad. Yeah. yeah. It it was, it was like threw you off guard, like just how bad they were that we were actually having conversations about Louisville being like, when Can are they, they going to win a game? Can they win? Yeah. Can they win a game? Correct. Yeah. Right. No, that should, that should never happen. Like, <laughs> um, with the amount of resources in that town, the amount of resources of people have that care about that program like that, but it's up to the program to lean into that. There you go. There you go. Uh, Brendan, this is, uh, this is a blast every single year and we very much appreciate your time. And, um, 
we we once again appreciate it and uh hope that the season goes well both in in durham and in raleigh yes yeah i appreciate you guys having me as always this is a blast and yeah i'm excited to see uh if the acc can pull itself up by the bootstraps a little bit uh brendan marks from the athletic brendan thanks so much brendan thank you so much for taking the time once again to hop on the jays for days podcast josh like we said before before the conversation started Always a blast uh, to hear what Brendan is excited about uh, heading into an ACC season. Yeah, it just feels like you can't set the stage for Duke and North Carolina without talking to him and getting a better feel for, especially in a year like this. How does Duke feel like John Shire is evolving into year two? What it, I really appreciated the, the question you asked about Hubert Davis and Brendan's answer talking specifically about how people inside the program feel and that he needs his own players because that's something we addressed Two is there is no excuses. This falls at his feet for better or worse because this is the team that he selected. You can say that the Caleb Love-RJ Davis experiment was kind of forced upon him if you want to go to bat for Hubert Davis. Mm -hmm. You can't say that this time around because he is building a team the way he wants. I thought it was really interesting that Brendan made that point that it still doesn't quite feel like it's his program the way that John Shire now feels like he has hold of Duke. And this very well might be the year to change if things go well for North Carolina and you can finally see what Hubert Davis wants this program to be. Absolutely. Absolutely. It was an, an absolute blast. And hopefully um, that this conference is more this year than just the conversation of Duke and UNC and that we get some of those conferences, some of those teams that that made a step in the right direction last year, making even bigger steps in the right direction. Josh, that's how we're halfway home on the interviews, mm -hmm. halfway home on the interviews. Yeah. We have a couple more guests that are returning uh, from last year that we're looking forward to. And um, we're getting ever so close to the college basketball season. Anything else before we get out of here? No. Yeah. Thanks to Brendan as always. Always look forward to that one. And we're slowly getting there. At Brendan R. Marks on Twitter. Always a pleasure to speak with him. Thank you to him and thank you to you for listening to this edition of the J3's podcast. Please subscribe to the J3's podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter and YouTube. Just search J's for Days Pod. You will find us on both of the, or X, right? Follow yeah, us I just X. call it Twitter. Follow us on X. Um, uh, you can find us there. You can find us on YouTube and we are very close to the beginning of the college basketball season. We'll see you next week for more preview content. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. And we will see you later.